Get your Google vehicle ads up and running fast with FlexDealer.com. The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is the Dealer Playbook. Alright gang, welcome to this episode of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. So excited that you are here, especially because we're talking subject matter that we don't speak about nearly enough on the show. We're talking about fixed operations. We're talking about parts departments. I am joined by the sales and marketing manager at Parts Edge, which is a powerful tool to maximize the potential of parts managers throughout techno- through technology and a touch of consulting. Kaylee Filio, thanks so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And, um, you know, I hear that all the time whenever I come on podcasts. It's like, <laughs> this is something we don't talk about enough. <laughs> so I, I appreciate it. It's like, what, what's the term, the, the stepchild of the, the, the industry? Because we're always talking about variable. We're always talking about how to move more metal. Yep. Um, but you, I, I've listened to you on on the fixed ops roundtable, um, and you know you bring up a lot of valid points. And I think this is where I want to start um, and really introduce this concept. I mean, it goes without saying, or hopefully should, that the parts department is. I, I mean, it's a it's a main profit driver for a store. It's the the second largest revenue source for a dealership. Yet we we tend to neglect it as far as mainstream discussions. And so my my question for you is, well, why is that? Why is something that generates, can generate much more consistent revenue, something that we tend to neglect in conversation? You know, I think it's because it's one of those um, things that just kind of works and um, you don't have to well, I guess you kind of do have to work really hard to to make it really productive and and get. Um, but it's one of those things where it just works. And a lot of times, um, there's really good parts managers out there that just do a really good job, and and dealers just kind of let them do their thing. But right now, I think we're running into this uh, thing where parts managers are retiring, or we're having a shortage. People aren't sticking with it, and so we're running into this like thing where we don't know what that parts manager did, <laughs> and now right. we're like left with you know to figure it out so i think that's why that's really interesting and really frightening i think about as a business owner myself really frightening i mean especially in an industry where we cling on to buzz phrases like got gotta gotta inspect what you expect <laughs> but probably to your point because it's something that just functions we're not necessarily paying attention to to how can we improve this? How can we make it more profitable? So as you work with your clients and and the industry at large, what are what are some of the things that you see on a consistent basis that given a few tweaks might just make that department even more profitable and productive? Yeah, I think um, the biggest thing uh, lately is we've been talking about obsolescence because um, it is growing a lot in the departments because there are stricter 
return um, guidelines per the manufacturer. And there's just a lot to keep up. And if you miss the windows, um, then you're stuck with those parts. And then there's the difference of the guaranteed parts and the not guaranteed parts. So there's just so many different um, aspects to it. But the biggest thing I've been talking to dealerships about is forecasting the obsolescence. So how do you do that? Um, you take the parts that are in uh, what well, this is what we do at Parts Edge. Um, and it's something you can do too if you wanna look at um, a different guideline. But basically the parts that are in the seven to 12 month window, you take all those parts or that total, you divide it by six, cause there's six months in that. And that's how much your obsolescence is gonna grow. So if you don't, like let's say the calculation's $5,000. Right. If you don't have $5,000 in return allowance or accruals, your obsolescence is going to grow by $5,000. So like that's one of the things that you can look at to really uh, improve and be more proactive with trying to offset your obsolescence or maintain it at a low amount or, you know, so. <laughs> and you, you mentioned, so, so you've got a quick little formula there, but as you dig into it with your, with your clients, I mean, where are they missing the boat, you think, on average across the board in, in being able to properly forecast for obsolescence? This is going to be my new favorite word, by the way, obsolescence. It makes I know. me sound so smart. <laughs> and then my phone just like knows how to spell it. So it's fun. <laughs> um, so uh, the question. So, um, re that question. I'm sorry. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I know. I, I had to throw in my m annoying little jab of... And then I get distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I have that effect on people. Um, what are the common challenges you see as they, as they seek to forecast obsolescence on their own? Is there... I mean, is it as simple as just doing the formula and saying, okay, great. What are maybe some of the blind spots that we, we're not thinking about on the regular? I, I think the blind spots really is that the DMS is kind of overwhelming and the reports that need to be pulled um, to do that simple formula. Um, it's just one, it's just one of those things where you get to it when you get to it. And oftentimes you don't get to it. <laughs> right. And so um, I think that's what, um, what we're discovering with our clients is uh, bringing that consistency of like, these are the numbers that you need to look at. This is how you need to look at them and um, looking at all those reports and the data so that you can be more proactive. So I think that's where it's falling short is there's um, the DMS, just there's a lot going on there and right. uh, and looking at the data and that's really kind of where where they're falling short. Right, and it makes sense. You know, I my mind immediately thinks about the the narrative in the industry of Hey, yeah, you've got this service department, you've got this parts department, but you're competing against standalone companies out there who that's all they do. They sell auto parts, whether it's a I'm blanking on names, AutoZone or, or, you know, whatever in Canada, there's Lordco or Napa auto parts or things of that nature. You're competing against these, these people. And it's not okay for you to just kind of, to your earlier point, let this department do its thing. These companies are paying attention to all of this kind of stuff and constantly, to your point, asking the question, well, what can we do to improve this, to minim minimize loss, to 
you know, minimize all these sorts of things. And so what's your take on that? Is it, is it just forecasting obsolescence? What are some maybe things you've learned from these other companies that we're going to talk about your dog in a minute, but after we <laughs> don't even worry about it. I love it. I love it. I lo- Wait, you mean you're a real person, Kaylee? Yeah, I'm a real um, person. <laughs> how dare you be a real person in an industry where we're all trying to pretend to be something else? Um, what are some of the things you, your company and you have observed that that perhaps the auto zones and these others, like what are some things we could learn from and take from them? I think that they're, they're looking at their inventories um, and organize, man, I'm so sorry. Let me get you're gonna this have one to show. Pick, you're going to have to pick this, this beast up and, and show everybody now. <laughs> no, I just shut the door. <laughs> no, I, I just pick him up. He's like 80 pounds. <laughs> would you be mortified if I told you I'm not cutting any of this out because I love it? No, that's, that's fine. That's really funny. <laughs> I'm just, oh, I'm just like that guy. And I'm like, and then when you order something, you're like, what did I order? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay. So, Man. so the, yeah, what they're, they're constantly looking at their inventories to your point. Yes. Yeah. They're looking at the data. And I think the the thing is, um, you know, I, I don't really know how the auto zones or the O'Reilly's do it, but I know that um, when dealerships can really um, organize their, their parts into more categories and, really assess the true demand. They're able to um, really see what's going on with their inventories and know what they need to serve their customers. I think mm. that's what it boils down to is you can't just set it and let it go. You have to constantly be looking at the parts. You have to be um, organizing them to the categories too. And the DMS does some of this work for the parts managers. It's just um, it's just knowing what you need to do every day to be more proactive and consistent. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Um, to that point, call me naive. What What is the average, based on what your observation is, I mean, how much parts business is a dealership doing? And then can you give me an example, maybe average, without specifics, obviously, just keeping people's privacy in mind. But what are you seeing? Like, what what is the average dealership doing in parts sales per month? And is that because they're selling those parts into service? Is that, or or is that actual straight up customers being like, I need a genuine OEM air filter? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah. I think most most dealerships, their business is from the service department. Um, they're all kind of uh, they all vary because some some parts departments are heavy into wholesale, so they are they're servicing their their shops around them so Mm -hmm. it it just kind of depends but um inventory size that we're dealing with and seeing like average um it it just depends so like you could have you know the five to ten million in inventory and then your sales are you know in the millions (laughs) it's just yeah they're they're producing they're high volume producing um and it all kind of it's all connected with the service department and making sure um, you know, you're pricing everything efficiently to, um, to, to get the maximum gross that you can without you right. know, everyone's head off. <laughs> but- right. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> what are your thoughts on the future? I, I, years ago, like we're talking years ago, I want to say over six, seven years ago, okay. I was having a conversation. Don't even remember with who it was here on the podcast for any of the enthusiasts that have cataloged my <laughs> episode numbers. We were talking about the future of the business. 
And one of the, the sentiments that was shared was showrooms might get a little smaller. Inventories might get a little bit smaller. And then the, actually the primary of the business, the primary driver would be fixed ops. I'm curious on your take. I'm curious as inventory, we, we're seeing now inventory shrinks. We're seeing uh, OEM executives and other analysts of the industry saying, hey, I don't think inventory numbers are going to return to where they were. Like there's a new nor- normal that we're establishing here. Could this mean that service departments become the primary driver? It's like few to choose from here. You'll get it shipped to your door, but we're going to be your service, primary service facility. I do think, I mean, we're already seeing it. Fixed ops is, is um, really kind of not taken over, but it's. I think we're focusing more on it and the fact that it is probably going to be more of the main driver because we're, we're always going to need our cars um, maintained and serviced. Um, in regards to parts, I do think that um, dealerships are going to move to hopefully <laughs> a more online uh, way to sell parts. Right. And I think that's kind of already happening, but like to a level of like having a marketplace and a, and a, a true like shop for parts and because there are the do it yourself people and then there's people that just want to shop online and look at things or plan ahead. Um, so I do think a lot of things are going to go online for parts. Um, mm. Which well, makes sense. Like, I feel like if you're going to try, <laughs> see, Maybe this is just the way my brain works. Maybe I'm Kaylee. You're going to have to tell me if I'm crazy or not. But instead of starting with parts and saying, hey, here's this thing that would actually be really easy to sell online. We went directly to the most difficult thing to sell online, which we're like, you know, it'd be a good idea. Let's try and transact a vehicle online. It's like, but what about this air filter that we can just throw in a box and ship? No, no, no. Like, let's try. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. why aren't we there already? I think because it's a kind of overwhelming. Because if you think about how many parts there are per, like, the make, the make, like, okay, every, that's fair. There's yeah. a lot. So I think, um, I don't think it makes sense, like, to sell every single part online. Right. Because, um, I mean, I think you just kind of have to, what what needs to happen is figuring out the market and like what's going to sell, um, what your customers are looking for. And I mean, there's got to be ways to do this um, right. and really track track people because we're, we're all being tracked all the time. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just feel like there's, and then what's, um, the, I was at um, Digital Dealer and it was, who was it? Um, Sean Rains. He had mm-hmm. a presentation on, parts and he taught in service and he touched a little bit on it, but he was talking about how, um, the, what's in the parts department physically, like all the, you know, the fun stuff, the t-shirts, the water bottle, like just the cool stuff. None of that's online for anyone to buy. Right. <laughs> so why is it not? I don't yeah, know. You're like, how come nobody's buying this? Uh, cause nobody knows you, it exists. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what an interesting concept. And I love Sean, by the way. He's one of my favorite people in this industry. Um, but that, that presentation, he was funny. <laughs> he's hilarious. Yeah, he, he is, uh, he's a gem. Um, but that makes sense. You're, you're right. I can understand your point about how would you even keep track? I mean, that, that's a huge undertaking. I know there are systems out there that try and, and do this, but I mean, yeah. to your point, I think really valuable is, well, maybe we start with our most 
profitable, predictable sellers and we get those online and we test it and maybe the water bottle or the tumbler and the t-shirt and the keychains and stuff like, let's yeah. try this. Yeah. And it immediately thinks of, there's this company I follow on YouTube um, called Revzilla. It's for motorcycles. I'm, I love <laughs> riding motorcycles. But, but this opens an, an interesting avenue for dealership on the marketing side of this department. Um, because what Revzilla does is they basically just do reviews on the products that they sell. Good, bad, and everything in between. And what's interesting about it psychologically, Kaylee, is you don't hate... Like, they're not worried about, oh, well, I can't trash talk this product I sell. It's a product I sell. No, they, they give you, hey, like this helmet, if your head's this shape, you might not like this because of the this. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But if you're that, they go through it all. And guess what happens? They make, don't, don't fact check me on the number, but if buttload was a number, they sell buttloads <laughs> of product just going through. And I could see somebody, you know, from a fixed perspective, simple backdrop, green screen, table. Uh -huh. Hey, today we're talking about this air intake, yada, 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 and why it's going to help the performance of your, yes. you know, 2020 Toyota, whatever, yes. you know, huge, huge opportunity. What are your thoughts on that? Is that the way of the future you think? Oh, I think so. I think that dealerships need to do videos and talk about the, the, the accessories, the enhancements, the things that the deal, the, the cars that they're selling. Um, Cause I mean, if you think about it, what's after you buy a car, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to accessorize it. You want to buy. I mean, if you're buying a truck, the, probably the first thing is tires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's my personal opinion, but right. <laughs> and wheels, but, um, but still those should be offered to be able to sell online too. Like, um, I don't know. It's just, there's huge opportunities and I love that idea with um what you call it um the cycle oh yeah revzilla redzilla yeah like um t taking videos and showing them like what all the different areas and how it can improve your car or your truck um it just shows people that's the way of selling really um talking about it showing them on the yeah. video yeah it's um best known Glenn Lundy said this um, this past week. We were in Phoenix together. He said, best known is better than best. And here's an opportunity for parts departments to become best known. Because I think to your earlier point, they're, yeah, sure, okay, they're the second largest profit center. But that doesn't mean they need to play second fiddle. You know what I mean? To, to the sales side. They can be their own. They're not even playing the same music. They got to just go be their own band. And, yeah. and you know what I mean? And I think there's a huge opportunity for that. I um, we've talked about online. We've talked about obsolescence. We've talked about where we see things going in the future with online part sales. Does any of this, in your opinion, translate to the metaverse? Are we going to, like, is there an opportunity for ABC Motors, the most popular dealership in the world, ABC Motors, to have a dedicated parts department in one of these, whatever they call it, dissenter land or whatever? Oh, I'm probably the wrong person to talk about the Because <laughs> when I learned about it, I was like, oh, I was just like in shock. <laughs> you were in shock. You're like, why don't you just go to the real parts department? Well, I mean, so I see value in it. I see value because uh, you have to, um, 
you have to appeal to different audiences. So there are going to be people that are going to go more towards that that style um, of way of buying or whatnot. Um, so yeah, if um, if <laughs> I don't if, even know. What to if say. an avatar wants to buy real parts in the fake world, then sure, <laughs> that's where you're, you're like fill your boots. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what I'm saying. You want to awesome. work on your vehicle in the metaverse virtually and kind of do that. If that's, I don't know. Cause I really kind of don't quite understand it all. Like, are you living in the metaverse and doing like <laughs> virtual things or right. are you buying the parts there and then they're physically getting delivered and then you work on your real car? Like that's kind of like what I don't understand of the metaverse. Right. I, like, I think it might be more that I think it might be more like, you're there and there's the parts store and you buy the part and and then it shows up at your house and there you go you got the part i might be getting old and i wish i didn't feel this way but i'm like i could probably do it faster on like just in web too like in in the internet that's on the computer in front of me but i'm always interested i have to ask everybody and and it's a mixed bag right now there's half of the people i ask that are like i don't even get it so there we are uh, okay. And then there's this other half that go into this big, long diatribe of why, you know, the metaverse is the, you know, anyways. So that's I, interesting. Interesting take. Yeah. Um, we're kind you of had mentioned, you, you had mentioned earlier the DMS. So when you work with uh, dealers, as it pertains to forecasting obsolescence, my new favorite word, <laughs> um. You said you can kind of do it. It's a little bit convoluted. So are you suggesting that there's a better system, a better way of doing, figuring all of this out? Yeah, we have. So we, we've simplified the, the reporting for parts managers. So the management report has always been so, um, there's just a lot of different reports to look at. You have to go to different areas and every DMS is different. Um, and we've just taken that and put it on one page basically and showed them their key categories so then they're able to see okay my fourth category i need to focus more on or my technical obsolescence that's your forecasted obsolescence category is is not um doing very well and we need to accrue more dollars type thing so it's just seeing it all in front of you on one page and being able to make the tweaks within the dms to and your process to be more efficient right and so then that's the back half of parts edges you've got the consulting side of like hey change this maybe work on that sort of a thing exactly and i'd like to take it to that next level of like we all we we have those meetings to talk about the the reports but then we actually help them execute the the stuff in the dms mm. that happen that's where that's where i don't like to say consultant because consultants kind of tell you what you need to do and we actually kind of like help do it <laughs> yeah you, you consultants are like you know what you should do change everything about yourself okay that'll be x number and you pay him and you're like i don't know what that means so you're saying hey no let's look at this together let's understand it together now let's let's execute let's let's put it into an action plan exactly because every parts department isn't the same every level of parts manager is different so what we're going to do is different for each level of parts manager really and we can see by looking at the numbers okay this is where we need to make changes and then we do that within the DMS. Yeah, it makes sense. I was chatting with my pal, Scott Simons, and I asked him, I said, what's the one problem that you don't believe has been solved 
four yet. And I mean, he's part owner. I mean, he's at CMA um, Group. Liza Borsches, their incredible CEO. Um, he's a, a co-owner. Um, I want to say they're up to 19 stores. So I felt like he might have some really good perspective. What's yeah. the one problem that has not been solved sufficiently yet? You know what he said? What you said made me think of it. He said, I wish there was just one quick report that I could look at that was quick, snappy, told me what I needed, and away I go. And everything out there currently is, I got to dig through this report and cross-reference to that report and this and that. And so I think that's really tremendous um, that you guys are solving for a very specific problem, and particularly in the stepchild department of the industry that doesn't get enough love and attention love that you guys are solving for that problem uh really enjoyed our conversation how can those listening get in touch with you to learn more uh, they can go to our website so it's just www.heartsedge.com um i'm very active on linkedin so connect with me on there um yeah i mean just reach out i'm happy to help anyone that has any questions Kaylee filio thanks so much for joining me on the dealer playbook podcast Thank you. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening. 